This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. Right? And I'm Melissa Moretti. And Melissa, today we have a exceptional show. I would say this podcast, we are the podcast of the people. People are very graciously email me quite often, show ideas, ask questions, critique the show, mm. right? So that's always good. Always find out where we're off. But so we've had quite a few emails over the past, call it better part of a year. We talk on the show a lot of times about how to build equity and property. How can you drive a value-add opportunity? What is a value-add opportunity? So I'm taking the time today, as you described, we're giving away the keys to the castle. We are going to teach people today how to get 100% of your cash out of a property within 36 months and still own it. 100% cash on cash returns. And we have a very special guest. We have a very special guest this week. It's Corey. It's myself. Surprise. So so we're taking today to walk people through why are we doing it today? It's springtime. It's a spring market. We had a great interest rate hold this week, which we'll talk about. Uh, So now we're going to open up. We're going to give away the keys to the castle to show everybody how can you return 100% cash on cash in 36 months. I'm excited for this. I come from the residential world. So this is going to be a really good learning experience for me too. Me and the listeners, we're excited for it. There we go. So but before we get into that, we did just touch very briefly on this this week, the Bank of Canada held their rate. Yeah. Held their rate, which uh, heading into this week, there was a mixed bag. Some people thought it would hold. Some people thought we might see a 25% our 25 basis point increase like we saw down south. We also saw that happen over in Great Britain. Our friends down uh, down under, they went up 50 basis points, if my information is correct. So that, I think, caught a lot of people off guard. So heading into this meeting, there was a mixed bag of reaction, I think, going in, it's fair to say. A lot of people were hoping for a hold, predicting for a hold. And then some people thought we might have the 25% 25 basis point increase. But we are very pleased to say rate got held. Yeah. We had our first hold in quite some time. So... I think that's going to start to create some confidence mm-hmm. in the marketplace there. That will be really, really good. And I think as we're heading into our spring summer market, uh, when you went back through the sediment of the meeting and sort of looked at the minutes, it does sound like there could be an opportunity for those rates actually might come off maybe this summer, which yeah. is a little faster than I think a lot of people were anticipating. So nothing's guaranteed, but there's hope that we might actually see some rates maybe come down depending on the economy, depending if a black swan event hits, we might actually see rates come in our favor. Yeah. So that's why today we're doing a show. We're teaching our listeners how to return 100% cash on cash within 36 months. Now, I will preface to say this. There's certain metrics that have to align for that to happen. It doesn't always happen that way. But we're going to teach everybody what to look for, how to do it. That way you can do it yourself. And then you can buy one, do all the fun stuff, reposition get the money out, go buy a second property with the same money you did the first one, and you still own the first one. I'm here for it. It's fascinating. I love it. Let's go, Corey. 
This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial. John, Alan, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. All right, so we're going to walk through step-by-step now on how you potentially can get 100% cash-on-cash return in commercial real estate within 36 months. Keys to the castle will be given away today. I'm here for it. Okay, so in order to make this happen, you have to have the following criteria. Okay. What do I need? Number one, you need to find a value add property within a market that has seen no less than 80% rental increases over the current leases in place. So I'll repeat that again. So you need to find a property within a market that the current leases in place are 80% below the current market rent for that asset in that market. Okay. As an example, Exhibit A, industrial class B in the Central Island area, greater Nanaimo. You can find what we call legacy leases, which are older leases, in place where tenants are coming to expiry, either on a 10-year term or usually a five-year term, where they're paying a base rent price of 7 to $10. Market rents for Class B industrial spaces in Greater Nanaimo are typically 16 plus. Hmm. So how the metrics would work, I buy a building or buildings. The tenant's currently paying $9 a foot base rent. Mm-hmm. They're up for renewal or potentially moving out. And I can list that property for $16 a foot base rent which hits my criteria of 80% or more on the lease renewals or re-renting of the space within that asset class, within that market. Okay. Question. So this is all new to me. So when it comes to a commercial lease, so I've got a tenant, they've got a term, and is their price going to be fixed in that term? So how it works, so the, the, the key to when you're looking at leases, when you're looking at properties, yeah. is they need to have terms traditionally of 24 months or less left on them. So if I buy a building with a tenant that's paying $10 a foot and the market in that area hypothetically is $20 a foot, but that tenant signed a brand new five-year lease, I am bound by that lease term, by that fixed rate for the five-year period of $10 per foot. Okay. I cannot extract future value out of the property until that tenant's lease expires. Right. And I know what market rents are at that time. So you're looking for something that the lease is close to expiring. Yeah. So number one, you have to find lease rates that are typically 80% below market. Number two, you need to find buildings that have leases either on month-to-month terms or traditionally less than 24 months left on the aggregate average of the building 
of 24 months or less. So you're in a position you can extract that market rate, which is 80% or higher within that 24 month period. Right. Why do we talk about 24 months? When you're buying these buildings, you are typically dealing in higher interest financing at no less than probably 65% loan to value. Most traditional lenders will not look at buildings, especially after COVID in a high interest rate market, where the future income is double than what it is today because they can only use what the building produces today to service the debt. So last week we had Lawrence Green on and he talked about a company they have called Spire Pacific Capital. That would be an example of a lender that would look at a higher interest short-term bridge financing or reposition financing on this. We have Alan from Impact Commercial comes on the show all the time and great friends of the show. They deal in this stuff all day long. So when you're getting a look at these buildings, you need to go to a lender or a mortgage broker like Alan that would have access to a lot of different avenues of capital that would finance these particular types of properties in a bridge position. And we say bridge, we're talking a year to two years. You don't want to be signing up for a prime plus five for five years. Right. So number two is you need month to month or the aggregate average of a building leases less than 24 months in order to have the opportunity to refinance within a 24-month period. Because we can pencil what 24 months might look like. We can't pencil what five years will look like. Mm -hmm. If we could, we'd all be loaded. So I'm only going to get a lender to lend me on what the current value is of the current income. Yeah, current value. So if the building, for argument's sake, was $10 a foot, and the NOI on the building was approximately $100,000 based on that $10 a foot, they will take that $100,000 in rent. They will apply a debt servicing metric to it of 1.2, 1.25, depending on the market you're in. They'll provide a, a vacancy allowance to that. So of that 100000 hypothetically, they may only take seventy five grand of your income to use that to debt service. And then they take their monthly payment of interest and principal, or potentially interest only in this case, and factor it in and how do we make a 65% loan to value work? Right. And then the idea is that I'm refinancing Down when road. I can yeah. increase those rents. Exactly. And with a commercial tenancy agreement, not like a, a residential one, I can increase it at the end of their term Correct. by whatever the market rent Correct. is. Correct. So when you're looking at the leases, step number three, okay, so now we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Number three, when we're looking into the leases that are either month to month or less than 24 month terms, we need to look in to see, one, what is the lease term, which is obviously hopefully month to month or 24 months or less. Is it a gross lease or a triple net lease? And does the tenant have the option to renew? Why it's important to see if the tenant has an option to renew? Because you will find from time to time, usually with larger AAA type tenants, their renewal rates will be fixed to some degree. Mm-hmm. Either a flat number of $15 a foot if they renew, so you can extract the $20 a foot out of them. Or it could be tied to like a CPI, consumer price index, where it could say something to the effect that the lease rate can increase more than a maximum of the seat of the combined CPI during the fixed term. So if I have a five-year lease and CPI is 1% per year, that means when I go renew, that lease cannot grow greater than 5% in that scenario. So understanding if these tenants have renewals, how those renewals function, 
is really important. The other thing that's really important is understanding if it's a gross lease or net lease. If I have a gross lease, I pay $20 a foot gross. Out of those costs, the landlord now has to pay all of the operating costs for the building, similar in residential. Versus if it's a triple net lease and I have a $20 a foot base rent, all of my operating costs before debt servicing can be extracted from the tenant in what they call triple net costs or additional rent costs. Why that's really important, if I have a gross lease in place and I go renew the tenant on another gross lease, which typically the lease will say the lease will be renewed on the same terms and conditions with the exception of free rent, fixturing, TIs, and base rent, then I'm bound to renew them on a gross lease deal. And when the challenge with that is when you're looking over the past couple of years and the inflation costs were sometimes buildings costs were going up 8 to 12% a year, you had property tax hikes from cities. If I haven't stuck in a gross lease, my net number out of that gross lease because my triple net costs have to come out of there could shrink year over year and actually work against me. Just like unfortunately it does in the residential world. Right. So that's why understanding the lease type is super important. In commercial, there's what they call the Commercial Arbitration Act, which sort of gives each party, the landlord and the tenant, and again, you have to look at your leases because it will talk about who pays costs and who has rights on this, can go to a commercial arbitrator to determine what fair market value is if the landlord and tenant can't come to an agreement. In residential, the province will issue the maximum percentage in which it can increase on a renewal basis. Mm -hmm. Year over year, 2% this year. In commercial, there is no cap on what that renewal can be as long as you don't have a price per foot fixed renewal rate Mm -hmm. or something tied to a CPI component or something thereof. Right. So if we look at Yale Town and we go back to probably 2003, 2006, 2007, retail tenants were probably paying between 30 and 40 bucks. Fast forward to 2012, 2016, 2018, tenants are paying 80, 90. Wow. So Typically, that turn of the lease with that massive percentage increase probably is a once-in-a-generational type turn. And why I say that? Because that's an area that got a SkyTrain and completely found its own and completely changed the metrics of how that area is going to operate. That, that tenant that went from 40 bucks to 80 bucks on the turn, on their next turn, might go from 80 to 85. So although it's still going up, it's not the same percentage increase. So when we talk about step number one, you need to find a market where these can happen, one thing we're very bullish on in this on this podcast is these secondary and tertiary markets like Victoria, Nanaimo, Kelowna, Kamloops, as an example. These are markets where you can find these opportunities. These opportunities are few, much fewer and far between in the lower mainland just because the leases have had those runs over the past decade. These other markets are maturing now. The ownership in these markets are changing. The demographics in these markets are changing. The tourism in these markets are changing. The logistics in these markets are changing. That is where that turn of the rent might have might work in your favor if you can find this type of asset class. Right. So what I'm hearing is that it's really important to go through that lease in detail and understand it. 110%. My question is, so if I'm looking to purchase something like this, it, who is going through this lease for me? Am I hiring a lawyer or is this a... a William Wright commercial uh, idea, or am I just looking through it? And well, see? the the professional answer is you definitely want to consult your lawyer for all legal questions and legal work. Okay. Um, but what happens is uh, some landlords, some buyers are very familiar with leases and how they work. They don't, they may not necessarily engage their lawyer to review them. 
Right. Other clients will choose to have their lawyer review them and provide them a summary report. It's really a client by client basis. Right. You I mean we're not in a position to provide legal advice on it, but we can simply we can point out some stuff like, hey, here's the lease term, here's how much the tenants are paying. Here's what market rates are in the area. So that way that landlord can potentially work out their performance to find out if this potential strategy works. Right. And I will say this, this potential strategy was not like created by myself. This has been done for decades. We're just now exposing it <laughs> to other <laughs> to our listeners. Executed it over and over. Exactly. So yeah. so mastered we, it. So we have these three metrics that are all falling in place. Yeah. Number four, when you are looking at acquiring these buildings. There is one cost that has skyrocketed over the past few years, and that's called construction costs. So when you're buying these buildings, you want to find things that have minimal to very little construction risk in them. And by that, I mean, if I buy a building from 1974 and I'm going to go in and, quotation, gut the building, Mm -hmm. I could be dealing with a ton of seismic upgrades at record-setting prices right now to do that work. And what those things could be, you might find that you don't have the proper fire-rated drywall throughout the building that you're gutting that the city will want you to put back in. Mm. There could be fire-rating requirements between floors for wooden buildings. Depending on the age of the building, may or may not have a sprinkler system that when you're doing an extensive renovation, the city will want that stuff brought back up to code. Mm -hmm. You might have knob and tube wiring depending on the age of the property. You might even find copper piping still in some of these properties. You're going to find asbestos most likely everywhere. So there's a lot of horror stories in commercial real estate. And we see a lot of people that will go in and they will have a budget of A and the budget ends up being like Z. And all of a sudden now the numbers don't work. When you're repositioning a building in a high interest market, you need to be very tight on your numbers and understand the construction elements that may or may not exist within your property. Painting your building doesn't require a permit. The city's not going to get too upset with you. If you go through and you start renovating, moving walls, creating structural changes to the building, adding rooms, now having to look at fire exits, there's a lot of construction components that could come along that could end up like eating away at your profit. And we've unfortunately seen from time to time where people get themselves into positions that they have to sell their building for no profit or sometimes even a loss because they can't afford to keep the building because the interest is so high and the rents don't match. So what's sort of the fine line between adding some value and... Yeah. and curb appeal. Know. Yeah. So when we talk about adding value, curb appeal could be new carpets in the common areas, mm-hmm. painting the walls in the common areas, updating the, updating the bathrooms with new faucets. Fluff the pillows on the couch. You got it. <laughs> Paint the building. Bring in some, bring in some landscaping. Uh, add a sign. All of these things can go into the curb appeal that make it minimal to no risk on the construction side. So number four on our list is understand the construction side of the building. Minimize your construction risk as best you can, especially right now where construction costs are extremely high and you could be opening Pandora's box because a lot of these buildings that you're going to be buying that are going to work for this are going to be class B and class C buildings in secondary markets. That when I say you're opening up Pandora's box is you might have the city of Kelowna come by with a wish list that will all get incorporated into your permit and your costs could balloon dramatically. They're absorbing any profit you might have. I feel like this seems like a really important piece. Is this something that people encounter a lot? A hundred percent. A lot of people look at it from the sidelines and they make the assumption it's a very safe and easy thing to do because right. you, you'll see other people do it. Mm-hmm. Those other people that are doing it have 
probably spent and burned a lot of money over decades mm. to learn the business to do it properly. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying you can't buy and get lucky, but you want to you understand intimately the construction that may or may not be needed to achieve market rents. And when I say achieve market rents, sometimes it's not as easy as 10 paying 10, hey, sign for 20. Sometimes those tenants in that type of business can't absorb that type of increase. So they're now no longer in that building and they're moving somewhere else. So when you're looking at that, you need to understand, like, can this tenant's business potentially absorb the increase in the rents? Yes or no? Like, that's all on the table. But when you're going through, if I look at an older building and I determine that for me to get 20 bucks a foot, I look at my other comparables in the market, I might have to improve my building to get mm-hmm. those rents. So that's where when you're looking at it, we call them CapEx costs. When you're looking at it, you want to know what those numbers look like, budget for them, have extra money just in case. That way you can work it into what you call your cap stack of your investors potentially who are coming in on the building with you, that all of these costs are accounted for that still make your metrics work. If I buy a building and the tenants are paying $10 a foot and I think I can just flick a switch and they're going to pay 20 and everything in my immediate area is $20 a foot or $18 a foot in way better condition with better parking and signage and all that stuff, I'm out to lunch. Right. I'm not going to achieve it. I have CapEx costs I need to consider. Right. Okay. So I hear you talk a lot about TIs, which tenant improvements, right? Yes. Yes. Is that the same? Is this what we're talking about here? So a typical capital improvement cost, capital expenditure, whatever, there's various ways you can call it from the landlord. Yeah. That's typically improving the building itself. Right. The tenant improvement allowance is what the landlord will typically give the incoming tenant to improve their space. So when we're looking at a building, one line item you want to have on your performa is tenant improvement allowance. As in, if I have to re-tenant this building and market is everyone around me is giving away 10 bucks a foot in TI and my building is 10,000 square feet, I need to put a line item in for 100 grand right. that I might have to provide 100 grand to these tenants to help build it out because my competitors are doing it. And that's a one-time capital cost. That's, that's a, not that's, a, that's a one-time, continuous yeah, operating. That's a one-time yeah. capital cost I'm going to give them to help get them in and improve their space. So understanding the construction elements, including the tenant improvement allowance that may or may not exist, is extremely important when you're doing your performance to look at these buildings. Okay. So when I'm when I'm going about this process, what what are the potential risks that I'm gonna come into? I know you talked about, you know, having that financial risk of of the construction costs, the capital yeah. expenditures. Are there other things that that could pose a risk here? Hundred percent. One of the biggest things that people overlook is the market that you're going in's vacancy rate within your asset class. Mm. So if I look at a building, and we'll just pick on Edmonton, that may have a very attractive cap rate of 6, 7, 8, 9, 10%. I also want to look at the vacancy rate. I have to run that number through my books to flush out that vacancy at year end. So if I look into Nanaimo as our example, where the industrial vacancy rate is coming down year over year over year, it means there's more and more demand for existing product that's there. Mm -hmm. So if I have to retenant my space, a tenant moves out, how quickly can I re-tenant the space? It's great if market's 20 bucks and my tenants are paying 10, but the vacancy is 30% in the community I'm in. These things might sit vacant for a very long time, which is going to burn my cash and my numbers are going to change dramatically. Mm -hmm. So understanding the vacancy of the asset class within the market that you're in is super, super important. Going into something and closing your eyes and thinking it's all going to come to fruition is not going to pull itself together. That's some good information. 
Number five on our list is understand the vacancy within the market that you're operating. Those are the five key things that you look at. So now taking all of those together. Sum it up. And saying everything aligns itself. I'm going to buy a building for $1 million. Okay. At a 65% loan to value, which means the bank will give me $650,000. I need to come up with $350,000 plus closing costs and CapEx costs, capital expenditures Mm -hmm. to go in. Right. My building's paying $10 a foot. It's a five cap rate market for argument's sake. Fast forward a year, because all my tenants were month to month, I have now retended the property at $20 a foot, and I have doubled my NOI. I am now going to get the building reappraised at the same five cap rate, which based on this scenario, should hypothetically double the value of my building. I am now going to call a guy like Alan over at Impact Commercial, give him a copy of my appraisal. He's going to shop it to more conventional type lenders now versus the privates or the mix I was working with on the reposition. And I will be able to extract 100% of my original costs if my performer lines up out of the property within that time period of one to two years and still own the asset. Because the income on the property has doubled, the new income will support a higher debt level on the property, giving me the ability to refinance my building, put more debt on the building, which is supported by the higher rents. Thus, I will pay out my previous mortgage And the difference between that is money I'll put back in my pocket to use for my next property. And done right, if everything aligns, you can get between 80 and sometimes 100 to 105% of that original investment out of the property, back in your pocket, and you still own the asset at the same debt leverage you did before, but at a much better interest rate. Sounds great. My next question is, are there certain asset classes that this works better with? It typically works better in the, the industrial markets, more so than, say, in the retail markets. Mm. And the only reason why I say that is because the industrial side of it is very limited on the landlord side of it. Versus I give you the keys, you go in, you move your equipment in. There's not a lot of improvements I have to do. I'm not investing a lot more into the units mm. after I give the keys. Versus in retail, it's very much landlord intensive, more TIs, longer fixturing periods more challenging on the construction side of it with what that tenant may or may not bring into the space after. So it works better usually in the industrial markets is usually your easiest avenue. Offices, class B offices, would probably be your second best asset class. I would traditionally stay away from the retail side unless it's a very, very easy numbers to compute where the tenants are paying 10 and market is 30. You've got so much room to play in there that would make sense. So if I had a mixed use building in downtown Kelowna, office above, retail below, that would be a green light. Those numbers I'm confident I can make work as long as the existing tenant leases match our 80% or higher when it comes to the market rents versus the current rents being paid. But I would avoid retail buildings in the event that they're all vacant in a major area and I'm going to deal with more larger type tenants, which is just more landlord-inducive on Mm. the capital side of it. That's the only risk. There's more risk there. So you Mm. can limit your risk by trying to find like Class B office buildings, Class B industrial buildings in secondary and tertiary markets. Right. That makes sense. Okay, my next question. Yep. How much money do I need? How do I get this done? So traditionally, a lot of these are done through syndicates, limited partnerships, friends or family creating a corporation to do so. So there's a lot of that stuff there. Usually when you're buying this stuff, you're usually buying it somewhere in a 65% loan to value means that if I buy a building for 10 million, 
the bank will give me 65% of the 10 I need. I need 35% down. Plus I need my closing costs and potentially CapEx costs to deal with this. So when you're looking at these buildings, run a lot of your metrics probably on a 65% loan to value with having additional funds available to you when you're looking at it. Looking at stuff thinking I can do it with 10% down, 15% down, you're kidding yourself. It's not going to happen, especially in the high interest rate market we're in right now. You need to plan for probably no less than 35% down plus costs and closing costs. And when you talk about closing costs, what are the closing costs in a transaction like this? So traditionally, you're going to have your property transfer tax. Right. Right. Now, if you can buy the shares of the company that owns the building or potentially a bear trust company that owns the building, when you look on title, the title has not changed hands because the mm. same company owns it. What's happened is the ownership or control of that company has changed. That's a way you can save property transfer tax. So when you're buying these buildings, you want to set them up in bear trust. That way, if you ever want to exit on it down the road, that's a tool as part of your negotiations. Right. Putting it's it out an incentive. there. Incentive. Yeah. So closing costs, you typically you need appraisals, you need to do your environmental phase one, maybe a phase two. You're gonna have to do your inspections, legal costs. Traditionally, when you're also paying for the lender's legal costs, so you've got two legal costs to deal with. Your legal costs as the buyer, the lender's legal costs to deal with. And then you also might have various consultants you're going to hire, elevator consultant, a roof consultant, over and above your inspector if you feel necessary. You're also going to have a lending fee. And traditionally, if you use a mortgage broker, like I recommend, you're going to have a mortgage brokering fee. So all of these costs, when you're working early on in the process, you can put all these into a performer to make sure they check out. But there's a lot more costs that go into it than you find traditionally when you're buying a condo. Right. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. It is. Sure. So that there is our way to get 100%, fingers crossed, of your capital out of the project or cash on cash returns within a 24-month period using those five steps. Now, I do caution everyone, don't take those five steps, put in a performer and go out and buy something and lose your shirt and say, Corey said, do this. You need to consult a professional in the industry or professionals in the industry from construction guys to mortgage brokers to a commercial realtor. All of that stuff has to align in it. And I would suggest to people that maybe want to do this but haven't done it before in the past, there's lots of good opportunities out there to be part of syndications that do this, that you can maybe take part as an investor in it and watch it happen from an investment standpoint to kind of better understand the metrics that go through it. Because there's a lot that has to come together through those five steps to make it work properly. And how would someone get involved in a syndication like you? Um, there's lots of them out there. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times too, that if you're dealing with a commercial realtor or a commercial broker, they may or may not know of companies that do this mm -hmm. out there. Uh, listen to the podcast. Hey. We have a lot of guests that come on that do this through GPLP set syndications. And that's the way a lot of the larger stuff is done. Mm -hmm. So listening to stuff like this, attending forums, I mean, all of that stuff, you'll start to figure out who you can do it with and who you can't. And then you can reach out to them and, and hopefully you can participate, participate as a limited partner in something like this and maybe watch it from the sidelines learn the business that way. I do caution everyone, it's not as easy as it sounds. You have to have a lot of good professionals around you to make it happen or a lot of years of experience of doing it to make it all come together and work properly. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That was some great information. Appreciate that, Corey. Happy to give away the keys to the, the castle. The keys to the castle. Ca keys to the castle. Lots we of people emailed them. us about this. We took the time now that the interest rates are starting to plateau a bit to put these secrets out there so people now can do it for themselves or participate in groups that do it for themselves to hopefully build their financial war chest to do it themselves at some time down the road. Yeah, that's great. 
Do you have five more minutes to stick around for the six pack of lighthearted questions? No. We want to know. <laughs> yes, by all means, 100%. I feel like we know the answers to some of these questions, but I'm, I'm really curious. The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. Corey? All right. My first question for you. Favorite bar or restaurant? Ooh. I really like Cardero's. Okay. I really like Cardero's downtown. Yeah. Uh, it's like not extremely priced and it's really good food. It's consistent. So like, I'm going to go with Cardero's downtown or I'm going to go with uh, pretty much anything by DoorDash. Anything by DoorDash. Anything by DoorDash. Our grocery bills have dramatically been cut probably by 90%. But our DoorDash bills make up for that 90% and then some. And then that's pretty much how we eat in our more. house, which is not good. <laughs> well, you're saving some time, I guess. All right. Question number two. You found yourself on death row. What's your last meal going to be? Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to go with, uh, you know what? I'm going to go with I'm gonna go with a big pizza. A big, a big huge pizza. meat lover's pizza. Napoleon style pizza. Oh. Is what I'm going to go with. Are you going to order it from DoorDash? Most likely it's going to come from DoorDash some yep. way, somehow. Okay. But I'm going to go with the Napoleon-style meat lover's pizza. That sounds amazing. Followed by uh, Ben & Jerry's ice cream, which oh. I found the other day, a churro Ben & Jerry ice cream, which was like, eating cinnamon toast crunch ice cream. Wow. It was to die for. Okay. That sounds go. amazing. There you go. That's I'm my in. last meal. All right. I'm going to skip question three okay. because it's your favorite band and we're going to bypass that. We, so we can do a whole on, episode on Nickelback. On to question four. Yeah. Your karaoke song. If you were drunk at a bar, you were handed a mic, what's Corey going to sing? Probably Photograph by Nickelback. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I got to be consistent, right? I'd, I'd do that or I'd probably find like uh, like Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Ooh, that's a good one. That, I would be, I I would like be, that. I'd be horrible at it. Nobody would listen to me, but I'm hoping everybody else at this point in time has also had as many drinks as I have by the time you give me the mic. I might actually sound like Tracy Chapman. Get time. the crowd going. There you go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Number five. I'm more interested in this one because uh, I don't want to talk about Nickelback anymore. But what's your book recommendation for our oh, listeners? Oh, geez. Uh, could be a million. I'm going to go with the classic Good to Great by Jim's Col Jim Collins. Okay. Good I've to Great by Jim's that. Collins. It's all about his philosophy on like business and the flywheel and okay. hedgehog concept. That's really good. I'd also say... For realtors out there, mm. a great book is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voth. I have that on my bookshelf. Yeah. I'm so so the, the simple concept is he was an ex-FBI negotiator right. or something to that effect. And if you have four hostages in the room and he only gets out two, two die. Yeah. That's not a win. Mm -hmm. You can't split the difference. Mm. So really, really good book on negotiations. Chris Voss. Never split the difference. Awesome. I like that recommendation. All right. Last question. What's something you've purchased in the last year for under $1,500 that's dramatically changed your life? Uh, my left Peloton uh, pedal. Because <laughs> for those who listen, know I broke it. It's probably on the verge of breaking again, it feels like. You're going to have to replace but, the uh, right pretty but soon. But I replaced it and I can now ride my Peloton bike, which I think I, th I should be clear here because obviously there's no cameras here. People can't see. I ride the Peloton every morning so my pants fit from yesterday. I'm not <laughs> riding the Peloton here. This is to a get maintenance in, thing. Yeah, this is, this is if I don't ride it, 
the Ben and Jerry's will catch up to me. You're going to break the chair. So I pretty much use my Peloton just so I stay consistent just, with my weight. Yep. And that way my pear-shaped body and my pants fit oh. versus if I don't, look out. So I'm not Adam getting in shape at F45 with abs. I am just doing Adam this so my abs. pants fit the next day. Well, you know what? You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right, Corey. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for sticking around for that. Our interview today with Corey Wright. And Corey, how can we get a hold of you? How can our listeners get a hold of you? People can reach me any day through our website at williamwright.ca. They can send me an email, Corey at williamwright.ca, or they can call our Vancouver office, 604-428-5255. Let us know what you're looking for, and we'll put you in touch with the best broker in the province to service your assets. And Melissa, for all those who want to buy and sell condos and houses in greater Vancouver, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, you can call me at 778-869-4477 or send me an email at melissa at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com for all your residential needs. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We got another great episode next week coming up, talking all about retail in the greater Vancouver area. And we'll touch base maybe a little bit on Nordstrom's what happened there. We're covering it all. We're covering it all. Thanks all for right. listening, guys. Have a good weekend. Take care. Subscribe today.